Hi. Uh, today's scripture reading is from the Gospel of Mark, in chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. And when he returned to Capernaum, after some days, it was reported that he was at home. And many were gathered together, so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them. And they came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some of the scribes were sitting there, questioning in their hearts, Why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, Why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise, take up your bed and walk, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all, so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like this. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Mike, not only for the scripture reading, but also for teaching me how to pronounce uh, Capernaum. I think last week I said Capernaum, but I, I think he's right, so I continue to learn from our elders. Um, back in 2017, former U.S. Surgeon General Vivek Murthy made an announcement that caught many by surprise. He brought to our attention a new public health crisis. He, prior to Murthy, Surgeon Generals often tackled subjects and issues like smoking, drinking, cholesterol, anxiety, and stress. But Murthy announced that loneliness is a public health crisis, loneliness. He began to argue that loneliness is a new American epidemic, that loneliness causes an insidious type of stress that leads to increased heart disease, arthritis, and diabetes, that loneliness has the same effect on our mortality as smoking 15 cigarettes a day. And so the main issue that face middle-aged men in particular is not obesity or cholesterol, it's loneliness. Of course, this is announced before the pandemic happened. With all of the quarantine and social distancing measures, with the fact that many of us are no longer working in the office but remotely from home, we can only imagine that if loneliness was an epidemic before the pandemic, how much worse it is today. Well, today we're going to meet an amazing group of friends, a group of friends who had each other's backs, 
a group of friends willing to do anything for one another. And I mean anything. But before I dive into our passage, let me set up the scene for us. Last week, in the first part of Mark chapter 1, we, we saw Jesus get baptized by John the Baptist. After that, he's led into the wilderness uh, to, to be tempted by Satan for 40 days. He then moves on to call and pick his 12 disciples. Afterwards, he launches his public ministry. He preaches, he teaches, he heals. He heals a man with an unclean spirit. He heals Simon Peter's mother-in-law who suffers from a, a fever. He heals a leper and he teaches with profound authority and word goes out. And people start following him, flooding him, to the point where he can't stay at one place for too long, lest that town get overrun. You could say that Jesus was the first to go viral. And that leads us to then chapter 2. Jesus finds himself at Capernaum, and he's preaching in a home. Many believe that this was Simon Peter's home. After healing his mother-in-law, she now lets him teach out of her house. And it's crowded. It's jam-packed. It's bursting at the seams. Not only is it crowded inside the house, but even in the front courtyard, there are people crowding there. And this is when we meet these four amazing friends. What's so amazing about these friends? Well, we find the answer in verse 5. Verse 5 says, and when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. What catches Jesus' attention, what catches his eye is the friend's faith, their faith. What is it about their faith that's so attractive? I'm going to help you see four characteristics about these friends' faith. Characteristic number one, these friends had persevering faith, persevering faith. They did not back down. They did not give up. They did not accept no as an answer. Notice all the obstacles they had to overcome. The first obstacle was a crowded courtyard. There was no way to get through to the front door to meet Jesus. There were simply way too many people standing in the way, and apparently they did not budge. They did not make room or passageway for them. At this point, some friends might say, you know what? We tried, but it looks like today is not our day. Let's try to meet Jesus another time. But these are no ordinary friends. They resort to plan B. They go around the house to see perhaps there's another door that leads into the house. They don't find another door, but what they see is a flight of stairs leading to the roof. At this, some friends might say, you know what, carrying you and climbing these stairs is a little bit dangerous. Maybe we should come back another time, but not these friends grab the paralytic, 
they climb up the stairs up to the roof. To their disappointment, when they climb to the top of the roof, they don't see a skylight, they don't see another door leading to the house. When they go up to the roof, all they see is roof. Now at this, most if not all people would say, we tried our best. There's no way to get inside the house. Let's go home. But not these friends. One of the friends have the bright idea, hey, why don't we dig a hole through the roof? To which the other friends say, that's a great idea. And so they start digging through the clay, the tile, the straw, the dirt, and they make a hole big enough for their friends to drop through. The Greek actually says they unroofed the roof. It's a demolition project. Now, once they dig a hole in the roof, they face another obstacle. How are we going to get you down? If carrying you up the stairs was hard, think about how hard and difficult it would be to lower their friend all the way down to the floor without dropping him. And yet they successfully do so. As you can see, these friends are resilient. These friends persevere. They're resourceful. They do not give up. They do whatever it takes to help their friend. What's interesting is that the, the activity of these friends stand in stark contrast to the inactivity of Jesus' enemies, the scribes. The verbs used to characterize the friends are bring, carry, get near, remove, make an opening, let down. The only verbs used to describe the scribes are they sat and questioned. If Jesus was the first to go viral, then you could say the scribes were the first internet trolls. They sat and complained. Characteristic number two, in addition to their persevering faith, these friends exhibit compassionate faith. Many of us wouldn't go through all these hurdles for ourselves, let alone for another, but clearly these friends loved their paralytic friend. They had compassion on his state. They wanted him to get healed. Characteristic number three, these friends exhibit sacrificial faith. No doubt they sacrificed their bodies. I can imagine how sore they must have been the next day from all the carrying, the digging, and the lowering. But in addition to their bodies, they also were willing to sacrifice their reputation. Can you imagine how many people they upset that day? How many social cues they violated? I am pretty sure that back then it was considered rude to interrupt a rabbi's teaching. And yet, here in the middle of Jesus' teaching, debris and dirt start falling to the floor, if not on top of Jesus' head. It reminds me of the first time I preached at a church when I was only in seminary. Uh, somehow, some way, in the sanctuary, a bird flew in. 
And so throughout my sermon, you could see a bird darting back and forth, and I could see heads craning up and down. It was extremely challenging. But in addition to interrupting Jesus' sermon, imagine how upset people were that they broke through a roof. If Simon's mother-in-law had a fever before, she might have had a stroke now. The the mess, the dirt, the cost to repair that roof. And yet these friends were willing to upset everyone and come out looking rude for the sake of their friend. They're willing to sacrifice. Last but not least, number four, these friends exhibit believing faith. These friends would not have gone through all this with the hope that their friend would be healed, with the possibility that Jesus would heal him. No, they went through all this because they believed Jesus was a Messiah. They believed that Jesus would heal. They exhibit believing faith. These four characteristics catch Jesus' eye. And as I take a step back and and, and really grasp just the amazing faith of these individuals, two takeaways come to mind for me. The first obvious takeaway is the importance of friendship. As I mentioned before, the pandemic has exacerbated what was already a national health crisis. A lot of us give our time to what we call the inner ring, which is our immediate family, and then the outer ring, which is our neighbors and co-workers. But what's missing, according to a sociologist, is the middle ring, the middle ring of friendship. You have heard us say time and time again that our relationship with God, our walk with God is not designed to be a solitary venture. In our hyper-individualized culture, it's easy to think that faith is something personal and private. It's something that you must shape by yourself, strengthen by yourself, and, 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 and come to a conviction by yourself. But that's not what we find in Scripture. Like this paralytic, there will be times in your life where you are flat on your back, doubled over by the grief and the weight of this world, lifeless, unable to move on. That's when we need friends to pick us up and carry us forward. There will be times in your life where you will lose hope. That's when you need friends to hope for you. There will be times in your life where you don't want to pray anymore. You refuse to pray. That's when we need friends to pray for us. All of us need friends like this paralytic. And if you have friends like that, praise God and continue to invest in them. If you don't, pray that the Lord would send you some. 
connect with those you have lost touch with. Join a life group. Join Renew Ministry. It's a great place to start to create spiritual friends. That's the first takeaway. The second is that in these friends, we see what robust, healthy, mature faith looks like. Mature faith does not wilt when it faces obstacles and challenges. You may have heard the derogatory term snowflake used in our culture and media. A snowflake is someone who was coddled as a kid, and as a result, they are extremely brittle and weak and frail and easily offended. They're a snowflake. Well, how many today are spiritual snowflakes? The moment we're tested, the moment we face difficulty, we wilt, we fall apart, we complain. We run into a roadblock and we say, God, you must not love me. We face hardship and and we say, God, you've abandoned me. We're so quick to conclude that God does not love us, that God is not near, and we just run to our idols to cope with our problems. But could it be that instead of abandoning us and sidelining our faith, God is actually trying to strengthen our faith? That these hardships and obstacles are designed by Him to make us stronger. Anyone who goes to the gym knows that the only way to build muscle is through resistance. By lifting weights and the force of gravity, it resists your arms from moving up. Anyone knows that the only way to condition and make your heart stronger is by running to the point where you feel like you're going to collapse. You push yourself against the resistance of wanting to just be stable and still. Well, if that's true with our physical bodies, is it not also true of our spiritual health? The only way we can grow in our faith is through obstacles, resistance, and hardship. Praying through difficulties. Fasting. Being unwilling to give up, to continue to believe, God, I don't know what you're doing, but I'm still going to follow you. Pushing forward in faith. Now, don't get me wrong. The gospel declares that a smoldering wick God will not snuff out, that a bruised reed God will not crush. If you have weak, fledgling faith, be comforted in knowing that God is gentle with you and that even if you have a faith as small as a mustard seed, your salvation is secure. God's love for you is perfect and complete. But though God loves us, even the weakest of us, he desires to strengthen and mature our faith. 
And so these friends stand as great examples of what it looks like to persevere, to not back down, to continue to press forward. Now at this time, I want to shift gears and turn our attention away from these friends and unto Jesus. You see, something surprising happens after the paralytic lands at Jesus' feet. Jesus sees the paralytic and he says, son, your sins are forgiven you. Now what's surprising about Jesus' words? What's surprising is we don't expect him to say, son, your sins are forgiven. Rather, we expect him to say, son, get up, rise, and walk. Because in our minds, when we see the paralytic, to us, the paralytic's most urgent, desperate need is to walk. For us, that is his deepest and greatest problem in life. But by proclaiming forgiveness of his sins, Jesus helps us to see that sometimes what we think is our greatest problem is not our greatest problem. Naturally, for a paralytic, he thinks my greatest problem in life is not being able to walk. If only I could walk, my life is set. To someone who's $30,000 in credit card debt, it might appear as if his greatest problem is his credit card debt. If only this debt would be erased, my life would be set. All of us here, this room is filled with if-onlys. If only I can get married, if only I can get a new job, if only my spouse will change, if only we can get pregnant, if only we can own our new own home, if only, if only, if only my life is set. But dear friends, sometimes our if onlys are not our biggest problems. Jesus helps us see that mankind has a problem even deeper than paralysis. The core of our issues run deeper. The Bible declares to us that man's greatest issue, man's greatest problem is alienation from God. It's a broken relationship with God. We were created to center our lives on him, but instead we center our lives on the things of this world. We center our lives on money, success, beauty, comfort, fame, ease, friendship, family, you name it. These things were not meant to be our center. God was. As David Platt says, quote, The paralytic's ultimate need was not healing from God as much as it was holiness before God. I've used this illustration before, but when buttoning a shirt, the most important step 
is to get the first button right. Because if you mess up that first button, what's going to happen? Every other button is going to be misaligned. So that by the end, you realize it's mismatched and you can't force and try to fix all the other buttons. No, to fix those buttons, you have to undo everything and get the first button right. In the same way, all of us have our own issues and problems. Our fifth, fourth, third button, even our second button might be misaligned. But could it be because it's our first button that's not matching? Our relationship with God has been broken and needs to be tended to. This room is full of if-onlys. And I don't mean to dismiss or discount the seriousness of your problems. Some of us have real big problems. But what we see in our passage is how God sometimes leverages the problems we have in this world to draw us to himself, to alert us to a greater problem. Imagine if the paralytic was never paralyzed there's a good chance that he could have ended up missing Jesus. But because of his paralysis, he meets Jesus and his ultimate problem is addressed. His sins are forgiven. As C.S. Lewis says, God whispers to us in our pleasure, but he shouts at us in our pain. Our suffering is his megaphone to arouse a, a sleepy world. Perhaps God is doing the same with us. Now, Jesus' declaration of this man's forgiveness sparks a firestorm. The scribes are outraged. They exclaim in verse 7, Why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Now, is there anything wrong with what the scribes say? Who can forgive sins but God alone? No. That's biblical truth. It reveals a fundamental principle about forgiveness, that the only one who can forgive is the one who was sinned against. If I took my kids to the park and I see a, another kid bully and push down one of my kids to the floor, and in my attempt to create peace and dispel the conflict, I step in and say, hey, kid, go away. He forgives you. What's going to happen next? My kid's going to be angry with me. Dad, I never said you could forgive him. I don't forgive him. And my, my kid would be right to be angry. The only one who can forgive is him because he was sinned against. And that's what the scribes are saying. How can you say this man's forgiven? The only one who can forgive his sins is the one who was sinned against, and that's God. And yet Jesus doesn't say, oh, thank you, I'm so sorry, I don't know what I, came over me. No, instead of backing down, Jesus doubles down. 
He says, I am the son of man. I do have the authority to forgive sins. And to prove to you that I am God, I say to the paralytic, rise, get up, and walk. And he's healed, and everyone glorifies God. Now, to the casual reader, we see yet another example of Jesus' miracle. Oh, how nice he heals a paralytic. That's great. But for those who read the entire gospel of Mark, what they realize is this is Jesus' first conflict with man. This is the first time his enemies confront Jesus. This is the first time his enemies accuse Jesus of blasphemy. What's interesting is the last time Jesus is accused of blasphemy is in Mark chapter 14 where Jesus stands under trial before the high priest where these same scribes pronounce him guilty and he goes to the cross. And so what a lot of scholars say is that this scene, this miracle with the paralytic is the first domino to fall that eventually leads to the cross. That the healing of the paralytic is Jesus' first step to Calvary. Earlier in my sermon, I asked if you have friends like this paralytic. Well, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, I have good news for you. You do have at least one friend. You see, like this paralytic, all of us were once spiritually paralyzed. We were all dead in our trespasses and sins. We had no hope. We had no spiritual pulse. We had as much hope of reconciling our relationship with God as this paralytic did in running a marathon. But Jesus saw us, and he felt compassion for us. And he came down from heaven to this earth to heal us and rescue us of our paralysis. But in doing so, he would encounter obstacle after obstacle. The first thing he had to do was become like us, become a man. And though he is the divine, almighty, alpha and omega, the creator who knows no beginning and no end, he chose to take on human flesh and all the limitations that it comes with. But as if that weren't enough, not only did he have to become a man, but he had to submit himself to the miseries and brokenness of this world. He experienced hunger and thirst, grief and loss, betrayal and abandonment. He'd become lonely. And as if that weren't enough, in order to heal us of our paralysis, Jesus himself would become paralyzed on the cross, nailed to a tree, 
unable to move his hands, unable to move his feet, groaning as he bore the wrath of God for the sins of his people. Jesus did all this to heal you. What a friend we have in Jesus. You see, perhaps the reason why these friends caught Jesus' eye is that in their faith, he caught a glimpse of himself. As he sees what these friends do for their friend, he saw what he would do for his bride, the church. Jesus is a friend of sinners, and if you do not know him, if you have yet to put your trust in him, he invites you to come to him. He wants to heal you of your spiritual disease. He wants to make you whole and bring you home to heaven. And for those of us who are already united to Jesus, our great friend, God calls us to be a friend to others. Is there someone who needs your friendship? Who are the paralytics in your life? Who are those who are in need of encouragement, who are losing hope, who are broken, confused, tired, hopeless? Let us not forget that our ultimate need, our ultimate problem that man faces is alienation from God. Let us not forget that it's only through hearing and believing the gospel of Jesus Christ can our broken relationship be healed and restored. And so may we continue to strive and think about how we can bring the gospel to the lost. That even if our loved ones and friends and neighbors rejected Christ the first time, that we would continue to persevere and pray for them and think of ways to share the gospel with them. Let us not also forget the importance of global missions. An estimated 2 billion people will be born live and die without ever hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Two billion people who live in an area where there is no active gospel witness. May we pray and support the work of the global church as they strive to bring and bring this good news to these unreached areas. But though I say that our spiritual healing is ultimate and our greatest problem, that does not nullify our need for physical healing. Though our souls are ultimate, our bodies are still important. Jesus forgave sins as much as he healed bodies. Unlike many religions in the world, Christianity is not just concerned with the interior thought life, 
We are embodied creatures, and God desires to heal us, body and soul. As a result, our love and compassion must reflect the same love. And so as Christians, may we befriend the disabled, the orphan. May we help those caught in human trafficking. May we befriend the hungry, the homeless, the elderly, the sick. And so, dear friends, I pray that this passage will help us to behold the great friend we have in Christ and move us to be a great friend to others in both word and deed. Let's pray. Dear Lord Jesus, we thank you for doing the incredible for overcoming every obstacle that stood in your way so that we might be healed of our spiritual disease, so that we might have our sins forgiven. We thank you, O Lord, for rescuing us and saving us, and we now pray that you would help us to befriend others so that they might know of your goodness and love, so that their suffering might be relieved in this world. So we ask, O Lord, that your spirit would work in our hearts, and we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.